<laughs> the band is called Name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the name of that record, but I know in the credits it says special shout out to our tour manager, Jason. It's tighter than it looks, Miles. Woo! Love that. <laughs> like the the list. I know someone has the list somewhere. Because they're like, Jay, you gotta stop. <laughs> Jay, come on. Come on. Get get it get it together, man. <laughs> You're supposed to be the tour manager. <laughs> Jason Miles and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Poundcast Roundtable Talk. No guests, no news stories, just the TIR crew having what we hope will be a fun, informative, and uh, and of course because of you, the live viewing audience, interactive discussion. So thank you all for tuning in. Just a quick reminder, if you're new to the channel, subscribe and don't forget to hit the that notification bell so you're notified whenever we go live we're constantly doing cross streams with other channels and adding new shows just last night we premiered nailing it down with varn and mean gene bajlan they'll be doing that show as well as gaming materialists the red zone is coming back so please stay tuned as we're adding more programming the tir can't forget before i bring the cats in Give them a revolution live, New York City. Perfect gift for yourself or the leftists in your life. Take us to see the TIR crew, Ben Burgess, David Griska, Matt Leck, and many, many more. Wherever you are watching or listening to the show, there are links in the description. Look forward to seeing some people again that we met at the Sublation Party Launch. You know who's at the Sublation Party Launch? Who? You! MT Toussaint, the headless, faceless voice of reason. I live here. Me? Yeah. Yeah. That happened. You you people will find out if she is a real person or if, in fact, she is an AI creation of Pascal and myself. Adobe Illustrator? It would be Canva because neither one of us are that tech savvy. I love Illustrator. Either one. 
you you would be some sort of template based thing you couldn't just you know get you from scratch mm, which would mean you'd probably be really mediocre if we were designing you and you are not mediocre you're lovely oh, oh pumpkin but you know what time it is isn't uh-oh time to dance no not dancing <laughs> don't have to get on stage <laughs> yet. Yet. it's time for the uh, east coast merch pitch we gotta get music for you east coast merch pitch east coast pitch merch <laughs> east coast pitch merch mitch that's right yo real talk you can look dope without spending a grip on tir merch my guy <laughs> <laughs> oh really indeed you can real talk uh the team helped put this together with care stop fronting on the kid we got mouse pads we got mugs cop one cop two <laughs> cop Get one, cop two. <laughs> the de la soul mugs de la soul mugs <laughs> cop one cop two cop two <laughs> well, speaking of patrons, which you didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks to all of you that have become patrons, and keep the you guys keep the TIR machine chugging along. We will be having movie night tomorrow night around the same time, six p.m. Pacific time. Uh, it'll be on Discord. We'll be watching two movies we're finally gonna be doing that double feature i had enough time to sit down with jeremy salmon and schedule everything so i'm very excited i made a little uh movie thingy for it did i send it to you just movie thingy for movie night i no? just saw it in the, in the chat i think in the notes, in the notes. Okay. In the well chat. anyway if you want to be a part of movie night and watch two very serious leftist films, Willie Dynamite and Life is Hot and Cracked Down. <laughs> I have one more thing I want to say. Go for it. Okay. I want to say mm -hmm. that This Is Revolution needs you to hit like the show. It's, it's early in the show share with your friends they can still there's plenty of time to do that also follow us on facebook and instagram that's a thing that we have as well as twitter the twitters pondy twitters yes shout out to dave from jamaica links are in the chat right now follow us on social media f with us come on Speaking of effing with us, Toussaint, can you bring in my co-host, my homie, my dog? He is the man of the Mau Mau Hour. He is the Pascal Robert. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings, just Miles. Peace and greetings, M. Toussaint. Yeah. Are you ready for tonight's show? Is it going to be spicy tonight, Pascal? I am prepared. I have done the requisite reading. <laughs> I, am, 
I was this close to giving you guys some of the research material I used. But I was like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not that mean. I'll just, I'll just give them what I wrote. That's enough. You didn't want to be like me. Three pages of notes about Smurfs. It was, it would have been a lot. I read a lot, actually. I'm actually still reading a book that's very interesting that came out in 88 about the spectacle of politics. So I've been doing a lot of reading about, oh my goodness, my mom is in the chat. Shout out I to my mom. mom. Who's distracting? Sorry. Hello, Miss Davis. I uh, I have to shout out my my wonderful, lovely mother. Speaking of people's mamas, mm-hmm. uh, this next gentleman is a bad mother. Watch your mouth. Mm. He's the meanest middle manager on the whole Death Star. But he's everyone's favorite PMC. Tucson, can you pr- please bring in Deep State Cuba? Deep State Cuba with Chad Bone Structure. <laughs> I'll be showing it off when I uh, when I turn to read your comments on the, um, you know, some people call it a murder screen, but uh, I prefer to <laughs> call it a collateral damage board. <laughs> the, um, well, hello, chat. Hello, loyal viewers. Welcome to 2023. Happy New Year to you, Cuba. This is the first time I'm actually interacting with you on screen in the new year. The it's a uh, it's first time I'm back. I'm very very glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to the live show. Um, I'm sure the Ewoks are. Well, well, we had practice on the live show. Kuba was at my house. He was in Casa de, de Miles here in Baja. What, what? You've got like a Yucatan accent now? <laughs> all, of a sudden, all it took was like a year and a half. All of a sudden, I'm a, I got the... I, my accent is horrible, and people definitely point out when I say something wrong. All Gringissimo. That sounds, that sounds Italian. The... Um, it's like uh, uh, this Spanish has it too, like Generalissimo uh, mm-hmm. Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it was lovely. Thank you so much for hosting us. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm glad you guys came down. I, I feel bad I didn't post more pictures. Uh, you know, I'm not. Why, a big... why would you feel bad about that? Like, because um, it didn't it didn't happen unless social media says it happened. Yeah, I'd prefer most things not to happen. <laughs> occupational <laughs> has, occupational yeah. has. Yeah, you learn. The, the, the bigger isn't always better when it comes to your uh, media <laughs> and, footprint. And Cuba's family found out uh, about the greatest Mexican diner ever that just gives you a pancake with everything. You get a pancake. Hey. You get a pancake. <laughs> that guy got a, got a got a bagel sandwich. He needs more carbs. Give that guy a pancake. The guy's just asking this for directions. For you, toots. That's right. <laughs> Don't throwing. put any syrup on it. You're sweet enough as it is. <laughs> I think they gave. I swear they gave us an extra one because they saw me with women for a change. Because I came with summer and short. I was like, I think they gave extra. They ate, ate, 
Yeah, black guy came in here with two dames. Get that guy an extra pancake. <laughs> he needs the energy. <laughs> that old black guy. <laughs> black guy. Brought some dames in there. Whoa. <laughs> so I'm with that big guy all the time. I think he was a little weird. <laughs> Ridiculous. What if they talked like that really in the kitchen? That would be awesome. Yeah, they would be be New Yorkers. (laughs) That's just international. I mean, if you given the amount of um, like immigrants and transplants coming in through New York, I wouldn't be surprised if every major city, every country has got like some New York corner in it. Yeah, it's um, all the people who like uh, moved out there, lived in Brooklyn for a while or Queens nowadays, and uh, then like went back. And it's like, eh, New York was great, but you know, eh, forget about it. <laughs> forget about forget it. it. <laughs> I, I make pancakes over in Mexico. It's gorgeous here. Yeah, real Brooklyn pancakes right here. <laughs> Somebody you asked you this pressed rats. Somebody asked if there's bagels in Mexico. Jason, would you like to answer that question? <laughs> Only if Ben Burgess. Only when Ben Burgess makes them. Them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, get a bar a cup of sugar. <laughs> That's not code for anything. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. You guys are so mean. Guy likes to make bagels, okay? <laughs> I love it. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I kind of wish I knew how to make them. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> real. <laughs> That's the new TikTok, Ben, showing Pascal how to make bagels. <laughs> yeah, that's, I love that. That could be a marketable skill. <laughs> Can you imagine how bad people would be? This is on your resume. Bagel <laughs> maker Esquire. That's all a live show is. It's just Ben's cooking show. Bagel being Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. Oh, Jesus. That would be quite a spectacle. Talk about Only... spectacle. Talk about politics a spectacle. Only one of them's been to prison. Which one? <laughs> Which <Yeah>. one? <laughs> 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 Oh my god, okay, let's get serious. <laughs> so when we joke like this, I do get I do get messages from my mother that um, I need to be more serious. Deep in your voice. Put that bass in. Pretend it's Sunday morning. Let me see me sleeping. I know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I eat a pancake over here Sunday morning. What is, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> What's a Cuba? <laughs> hey, I'm not a Seventh Day Sabbatarian or anything. <laughs> Everybody Jeez. knows that it was on Thursday that God rested. <laughs> Who else can we offend? Oh. Let's see. What's in the news? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, ready. Well, for those of you that aren't massive rock fans or MTV obsessed Gen Xers, and you're wondering what the hell does Chinese democracy have to do with 
with Trump. <laughs> Chinese Democracy was the name of a much-anticipated Guns N' Roses album that was going to revolutionize not just the hard rock genre, but music in general. It was a 14-year, multi-million dollar undertaking. Um, where'd I go? Uh, for the band. By the time the album was released, all the original members were gone except for visionary leader Axl Rose. The album was a hodgepodge of several recordings with a multitude of players over the course of 14 years. It is known as one of the most disappointing albums of all time. The arrogance of Axl Rose and the hype surrounding that release in the early 90s and early two, or the 90s and the early 2000s remind me a lot of this current political moment. Donald Trump is more of a brand than a serious political candidate. He and Bernie Sanders rode a hype train into the public political consciousness in the 2016 presidential race. They were both speaking uh, truth to a disaffected populace. Trump and Sanders both spoke to the inequalities that Americans face due to 50 plus years of neoliberal capitalism. Of course, Sanders, a longtime socialist, spoke of democratic social reforms while Trump tried his hand at faux right populism. In the end, they both created energy that was immediately capitalized on by capital. They were both marketing phenoms. I have Bernie swag, as do probably many people viewing this show. Was there anything beyond the hype? Were these guys just perfect Dem and GOP avatars for a new generation that only sees themselves as a brand? And what does this mean for our political future? Pascal and Kuba. First of all, friends, comrades, and enemies. <laughs> Lend me your ears. Lend me your rears. Lend me your rears. <laughs> I want to uh I want to commend you on uh the innovative way that you formulated your essay. Jason, and for those of you who don't know, the subject matter for this show is coming from a soon-to-be-published essay that Jason uh, put together on this subject matter. And I will be very honest with you because I'm not a heavy metal expert, comic connoisseur, nor aficionado. When I saw the Chinese democracy <laughs> model, I was like, is he talking about Jingism? Pang? I was like, what's the analogy here? I'm like, I don't get it. So I'm reading the article. I was like, oh, he's talking about Guns N' Roses and their, mm -hmm. and their, and their album and how they had an album during the peak of the L.A., rock scene uh in the 80s and early 90s for those who were too young to remember <laughs> the hair band scene kind of came into popularity in the 80s again with heavy rock and heavy metal and guns and roses roses entered the scene and they were at this album that was supposed to come out that was big height and, and it fell flat so jason is basically making an analogy between guns and roses album and the trump more of the trump phenomenon but the Trump Sanders phenomenon and asking the question is that was it just hype and just deflated? And I think it's a really great metaphor. And I really appreciate only only a heavy metal aficionado <laughs> would have the artistic vision to make that kind of metaphor. And I appreciated it when I read it. And the one thing I will say though is that why I will moderately digress, this is where I agree with you. I think that they both, both of them, both Sanders and Trump, ended up being hype. But I will say that at, that at least the Sanders iteration of the populist 
flirtation that we had in politics didn't have to end that way because there was a material downward quality of life in large numbers of American society that truly demanded the solutions that Sanders was offering, while Donald Trump never had any sincere intention of offering any type of redistributive solutions because he represents the right flank of capital and we realize that they are totally destined to protect the interests of capital. Not that the liberals or the Democrats are any more interested in redistribution either, but at least they have been able to create that facade in the post-civil rights era to barring some deviations. So to answer your question more quickly, I think you're correct that what ended up happening is that social democracy and reactionary populism ended up being hype. And all we got was basically the return to the most status quo political order we've had in America. I would say <laughs> the original centrist, Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and both factions, the reactionary right and the uh, sock dem left, have been cannibalizing them since 20, kind of cannibalizing each other since 2020. Cuba? So the I'm hesitant to rule definitively one way or another because I think that it's it's too soon to tell. Um, right now, um, in a lot of ways, those 2016-2020 elections looked like they represented um, a break, uh, an opportunity for something new to come in mm-hmm. uh, over the moribund, comatose, um, you know, hospice care corpse of neoliberalism. However, those movements, either neither um, Bernie Sanders style uh, American democratic socialism nor Trump uh, style chauvinist revanchism uh, proved durable enough uh, in terms of institutions, in terms of cadres, in terms of uh, the physical material stuff of mobilization to be able to impose a program that uh, be able to win power, win elections in the case of uh, Bernie Sanders and in the case of Trump to um, impose a durable program for uh, something new. And what we have instead is a restoration of uh, neoliberalism. Uh, you know, President Zom Biden coming in to um, revive uh, '90s style um, Clintonites uh, democratic politics. Um, this time with more woke identitarian flavoring, despite the fact that he is the oldest, whitest, malest man. Um, that you can find in the Democratic Party. Um, avatar of centrism, right? Uh, co-sponsor of uh, bills making it harder to discharge student loan debts, best friend of credit card companies, uh, senator from MBNA. Mm-hmm. Destroying and unions. Destroying unions, precisely. The, uh, But as with a lot of restorations, uh, it's a little too soon to say that 
uh, neoliberalism is out of the woods and and we're back in something stable, something durable. I think that the connection between the establishment elites in both parties and the society that they see fit to govern has been severed. And now there's no nascent counter elite that can step in and replace the establishment. The institutions, especially the political parties, the institutions of power in the United States have proven themselves very resistant to any kind of uh, turnover of ideas or personnel. But is this a stable equilibrium or like the short-lived Bourbon restoration after the French Revolution, is this just um, a last stand while anti-establishment forces uh, muster in the wings uh, to get it right the next time. And given that Biden has been unable to deliver any real tangible changes, improvements in people's lives, that um, he's been struck by both international and domestic uh, crises, He's too old to stand for a second term and his mental health, for instance, uh, the recent stories about classified documents being found uh, in his office um, in more than one location. When I read them initially, I thought to myself, this is a kind of turnabout from the Republicans over the whole Mar-a-Lago fiasco. And then I thought about it a little bit more and no, he could very well just be forgetting where important things are. (laughs) And you may have a situation in which the declining mental faculties of a president aren't, are are too great for his aides to be able to, um, to protect him from the, the damage that, that he could do. And just as with Senator Dianne Feinstein, Katie Porter announced that she was running for her seat before mm-hmm. finally officially announced her retirement. I think this season, all of the Democratic dinosaurs are getting nudged by a hungrier generation that has been sick of waiting for its turn. Now, that leadership, President Pete Buttigieg, President Kamala Harris, it, it doesn't inspire any confidence. Um, and there's the potential that that bloodletting in the younger generation, we're already seeing it on the Republican side with uh, many eager to anoint uh, Ron DeSantis as uh, the next presidential candidate. <clears throat> but these are contested positions and the opportunity is so uh, seldom available to break into that top tier um, that it'll get very ugly as um, the power dynamics within the party leadership, within potential candidates sort themselves out. Uh, People uh, finally use the ammunition that they've been mustering uh, against their political rivals. And that may be the opportunity for uh, an anti-systemic force, perhaps even uh, revived Trumpist remnant 
to thread the needle and arrive um, at power because of the um, distraction and infighting uh, among its its enemies. Uh, there's a quote that gets attributed to Napoleon, uh, never interrupt your enemy when he's busy destroying himself. himself yeah. <laughs> and the establishment is eroding its foundations for legitimacy and any type of um, organic connection with its constituents. So I think that at this point, we're off book. There's no clear trajectory. We're, we don't know. We're in a rut, but we don't know where it leads. And we don't know how bumpy it's going to get. So I'm unwilling to rule anything out, despite the fact that I agree with, with what you're saying. Trump was all hype. Trump um, is not really interested in being more than hype. That's what attracted him to presidential politics. He wants to be a celebrity candidate much more than he wants to be an office holder. But this is an age where strange things happen on a regular basis. And I don't know where it ends up. Can this lightning strike twice, though? Toussaint, what do you what do you have to say? I don't. Does lightning strike twice? Yes, <laughs> it does in the same place. Um, do we think that Trump can do it again? Is that the real the real question? Yes. Um, do you think? Do I think? Mm. I honestly don't know. Um, I agree with Cuba's last statements where we're in a time where almost anything can happen and almost anything has happened. In a way, everything is still just as boring as it was before. <laughs> but in a way, some wild things have happened. Like we lost a million Americans. Yeah. We're acting like nothing happened, but a, a lot has happened and a lot has changed. There's a shooting war with Russia that's ongoing and the results of which are impossible to, to predict the and the configuration of international power very ambiguous um uh, similarly previous um an entire generation of americans two generations of americans have <clears throat> no experience with what an assertive economically empowered Chinese leadership can do. Um, Jiang Zemin, uh, when he was party secretary, said that um, the important thing internationally was to conceal China's rise. Don't trigger anybody. Smile. We need the space. We need the breathing room. But that geopolitical age has come to an end. Uh, what this uh, portends for an America in, in internal turmoil with a great deal of uh, material uh, suffering and visible injustice all the time, an American system that is harder and harder to defend, it's, there's, there's the potential for um, developments to come from outside of the United States. Um, for shocks, you know, chickens to come home to roost in all kinds of ways. And when I, when I wrote this thing, I, I I did want to get a conversation started, and I didn't, you know, it doesn't end with any sort of answer, right? Um, other than I think that 
uh, it's a two-part series. Uh, the first part is the, the one I wrote, and the second part is 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 the left is the contemporary left uh, a lifestyle brand. Um, and people are very vested in electoral politics in a way that I don't feel people are vested in any sort of movements politics. Maybe people get excited about a union here or there, but uh, there's still a lot of attention around a handful of quote-unquote progressives, what they're going to do or what they're not going to do, um, who's going to run in the Democratic Party, what did this senator just say, who's blocking this vote. Um, there's there's so much interest around the intrigue of electoral politics that we still like there's there's this thought that things like the DSA are big and they are not. They are you can't what is what is Pasco? You couldn't fill a football field with with DSA membership. Um Jacobin magazine, I hate to break it to you guys, not very big. Not not a very big uh, building that they're in. They don't have a very big reader base. You ain't spoiling my dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure people think uh Boshkar is, is Scrooge McDuck in his uh barrels of money. <laughs> yeah, the people's like doubloons. To, I, I like to address Mm-hmm. A couple of things that you just talked about, Jason, and mm-hmm. that are very, very important points. The focus on electoralism and the lack of movements is a very important distinction between the contemporary manifestation of leftists, notice I said leftists, not left, that we have today, and prior manifestations of the left that we've seen from the 60s, new left to the old left of the the, the Depression era and uh, World War II. The nature of the contemporary left is born in electoralism, which is the Bernie Sanders 2016 election. In other words, most of the people who are, whether they are touting hammers and sickles or they're calling themselves so democratic socialists or social democrats or you know maoists anarchists or whatever other kind of you know iteration or sect of leftism that you know they found on wikipedia uh most of those people attached to those philosophies as a consequence of the rise of socialism being popularized by the election opportunity of Bernie Sanders in 2016 and 2020. One of the consequences of that is that the importance of movement development has never been emphasized. The importance of cadre development, the importance of organizing mass mobilization the importance of actually using mass politics has has been so 
de-emphasized that we are stuck with a left media infrastructure that is rooted in looking at the electoral politics system of the progressives, whether the squad, the DSA candidates or whatever, as a form of entertainment. Mm. Mm. And that's the problem. So one thing that um, this made me think of is the Arab Spring and the consequences of the Tahrir revolution in Egypt. In a lot of ways, it the central players that were presented in the media had a lot of the same characteristics as liberal reformers that are touted everywhere, including domestically in the United States. They were young, telegenic, they spoke English, and, you know, we want freedom, we love America, we love the rest of the world. Um, this is our, our struggle is part of a common struggle. And um, they were being presented as the standard bearers and potential future leaders uh, of a post-Mubarak Egypt. It was obvious to me that none of them were going to last after decisive political moves had been made. They'd all be on the first plane to London, Paris, New York, because that class, that sort of globalized cosmopolitan PMC, has the opportunity to leave and the means to do so. Um, they also are better connected with similar, similarly situated, internationally educated, mobile, um, upper middle class uh, PMC types internationally than they are with the working class of their own society. If they were useful in getting media attention, they were useful in um, causing the United States to hesitate about whether to uh, green light uh, Mubarak crackdown. But if you want to introduce a new order, then you need to have some significant institutionalized connections with uh, the masses. And the Muslim Brotherhood, they had spent years building those kinds of connections. They weren't just a political movement on Twitter, <laughs> but they provided services. They um, lived in the same neighborhoods as um, regular Egyptians. They were regular Egyptians, um, more like old time union members or um, working class ethnic clubs in the United States, based, of course, not on an ethnic identity, but on a religious one. Um, then they were the uh, professional, highly educated, uh, technocratic celebrity, you know, parasocial types that were brought on uh, camera to talk to CNN and uh, MSNBC. I wonder if material conditions in terms of the way that we live, the way that we process information, the volume of information that uh, people continually experience, the way in which it's no longer really the written word, but these almost real-time, sometimes real-time, parasocial relationships with uh, people that um, 
you might want to um, want to you know uh, introduce into your life rather than just ideas or mobilization or or um, somebody who's advocating for concrete interests maybe it needs a new kind of mobilization a new kind of organization and new kinds of institutionalization the if the solidarity of traditional societies is based on shared myths and that are unquestioned that are um, serve as the bedrock of everyone's worldview and the solidarity of uh, 19th and 20th century uh, socialism was based on a rational understanding of uh, collective material self-interest and your place within it then is the solidarity of this age that we're in now um the solidarity of uh, shared anger resentment a collective id working out um its traumas by lashing out um in gangs or groups or online moms maybe i don't know i don't know what what it looks like because i haven't seen um progressive hopeful variant of it one that was successful well i think that you really touched on something that's very important here cooper is that there is no solidarity on the left and this is one of the reasons why the left is basically worthless in this particular moment moment we will agree that ideologically it's easier for the right to coalesce because all they need is an enemy as long as they can say we have an enemy you know whether it's the culture wars the wokeness the blah 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 we also know that they're going to pick an enemy that is a distraction from the material reality that people are suffering in the country but what's ending up happening is that because we are in a situation where the leftists that we have are literally people who developed their politics in the age of the internet. They actually believe that the internet is politics. And as a consequence of that, all of our politics on the left are reduced to the internet. Even what we call publications are basically websites and blogs. There's a way in which the internet does impact and pattern and um, begin to shape material reality, but it's not through the um, entertainment, Twitter, YouTube information space. If you think about the people who can really use it for um, through the for the concentration of power, it would be. Um, hackers, um, big data miners, um, groups that don't speak honestly or frankly uh, about what they want, don't use it as a tool of communication, but as a tool of um, cynical manipulation and um, harvesting actionable data, right? The If you think about um, someone's online footprint, the amount of information you're revealing about yourself continually, uh, perpetually, um, even it, things that you think are firewalled because it's password protected or encrypted, that 
can be used to uh, that can be connected with you and if someone has the time and the resources you can get a very detailed profile about people's lives the reason that it isn't a 1984 style totalitarian hellscape is because nobody cares about individuals um individuals that are living their lives are data points to be aggregated and uh, taken advantage of but no one will impose on your um, personal experience and because that personal experience is indifferent to powerful interests it kind of represents a, a final frontier of freedom right um you jason you mentioned is the left in america a lifestyle brand a lifestyle choice well when all avenues of connection to uh, political authority to having a, a role to play in public life have been blocked out then what do you have except your lifestyle i think that what has happened quite frankly is that we have a situation where leftists are wearing their sectarian ideological affiliations like fraternity t-shirts and they're looking at it like clubs and that they are clinging to their ideological sex whether they are an ml whether they are a trot whether they are an anarchist whether they're a democratic socialist whether whatever out of a desperation for a search for community and the manifestation for that demonstration and need for community is evidenced by the extent of rancor they exhibit with each other when dealing with people of opposite sex sects on social media so that when you are getting into a when you are a democratic socialist or a trot getting into an argument with a sock uh, 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 an ml about some random aspect of uh, electoral politics, it's personalized, one, because you don't have the courage to be confronting that person face-to-face, -face, so there's a certain distance. And number two, it's personalized because you feel like you, they're attacking your frat or your family or your club. And people have been divorced from the fact that these political ideas and concepts are not club memberships or fraternities or secret societies. They're simply a means to try to improve the material conditions of people's lives from, by getting them goods, services, and resources. Socio-political tools. I think you made a, a great point, Pascal, of course, and I certainly don't want to step on it, but we do have a super chat that I think is related. Sean McCallum says the quote-unquote leftism is as indiscriminate iconoclasm, iconoclasm, Jesus, um, and exhibitionism garbage must be excluded from our institutions of agitation and political education. And this is a very big point that Strom always makes. He does not like to see people sort of no taking on leftism. Yeah, no cowboy. 
Yeah. I mean, but that's, it, it's, it's interesting. What's interesting to me is, you know, I did a whole video essay on this idea that what Pascal is talking about and it, and it's, uh, you know, Facebook has the memory thing. And it's been a year since that came out, which was the punk and politics thing. That's really what it was about. It was, about um, was this thing really that anti-authoritarian or did was it a kind of a cottage industry that was formed by these people that had no access into the mainstream, which is really where they always wanted to go in the first place? Um, and sometimes... Dave Rubin, for instance. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Is, is that sectarianism? Uh, <laughs> no, that's just a, that's a great example. Prager University, uh, a branch of um, the workers, socialists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's just it's such a, it's such a fine example um, of someone that came up on, you know, I know people love to debate whether they're left or not, but let's just call them for this case in point left media and tyt and when he can't get the money in that space candace owens is another example of that same thing when she couldn't capitalize on the space that she thought the money was at they jumped ship there's some interesting concepts to describe that kind of behavior i've heard it called political entrepreneurism in mm -hmm. um in treatments of post-socialist Eastern Europe, where people who are ambitious, uh, they're motivated um, to seek wealth and fame and status, uh, recognize that the conventional paths that others have taken previously are closed to them. And so they embark on a political career, not out of any ideological conviction or with any particular program in mind, but like Donald Trump, as an opportunity to uh, climb a, another couple of rungs on the socioeconomic ladder or add another zero to your bank account. And I think that the development of this kind of political entertainment space has enabled a lot of showbiz washouts to get a second bite at the apple. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is how quickly that niche absolutely filled up um, mm -hmm. how many podcasts one, mm -hmm. one might ask how many channels how mm -hmm. many uh, and everybody uh, it's one thing to want to make your own contribution it's, it's another like you like you suggested to um, try to manufacture your own way up into um, that establishment that you're uh, where your entire brand is based on tearing it down. And I think that um, I, I don't want to question anybody's uh, motivation for uh, talking about these issues and taking leftist positions. I think that um, part of the socialist humanist values are a respect for differences of opinion, differences in lifestyle, um, even the toleration of iconoclasm and exhibitionism um, that we disapprove of. Incidentally, iconoclasm and exhibitionism that we approve of 
we call agitprop and say it's based. Mm. So it's a little, it's a little like free speech. You know, if you don't, don't embrace it for people who disagree with you, then you don't really care about it for anyone. Steve is making some really interesting points. He made a point earlier. He said that TYT is left for normal people. And he said also, again, he said, we need to deal with the political reality of where most people's politics are. And that's a really interesting statement is that, you know, we'll talk about Marx and Engels and all of these. Like, I don't think we realize, because all of us here are obviously familiar to some extent or another with all of this jargon and ideological jargon, if you will. I don't think we realize how alienating this stuff is to the average Joe who just wants to leave his nine to five, come home, watch some football, Mm -hmm. you know, play with his kids, get some sleep, watch Netflix and go to work the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And the case Mm -hmm. that we should be making is we want that for you too. We, We want that for everybody. Uh, and we want to take away all of the, and as somebody who doesn't experience the same kind of work, uh, workplace control and economic precarity and, uh, the culture of humiliation that, uh, comes with, uh, not having money in the United States, it, it's also revoltingly inefficient. Mm-hmm. You can have, even under capitalist terms, uh, a better and more dynamic, more productive, a more innovative economy if you do away with all of this um, predatory extraction. The health insurance companies aren't doing shit for anybody. Um, yeah. The That's an industry which is destroying value, um, destroying considerable value if you consider um, from my bad Death Star PMC perspective, <laughs> uh, that it's not just human lives you're impacting. It's human capital. Mm-hmm. People, right? Won't anybody think about the human capital? Um, that could be much uh, repurposed in productive directions, and we could get to fusion power like uh, maybe six months faster, um, which would be a considerable net gain for everybody. But instead, you have all of these um, parasites um, and status power-oriented tyrants that turn um, the economic space into a into a blood sport. I don't. I don't remember if it was you, Coop, I was talking to, or Pascal. Um, I think I was telling you about Mac, who I do the red zone with. And there's two things he's trying to do in in uh, Fayetteville, where he lives, and one is get together a clinic for the unhoused trying to find some uh, doctors that will donate some time to do some uh, medical work for the unhoused in his, in his area. And also he's been trying to, uh, to get a little money for his uh, socialist uh, football league. He's trying to start um, out there, which, which I think is interesting because he's doing it on his own. He doesn't have uh, the backing of any sort of organization. It's literally just him who comes out of some organizing um post his military career um so there there is people out there trying 
to do good work. But when you're when you're busy doing good work, you're definitely not going to be online. Mm. and you don't have that's exactly and one of the one of the uh, um, one of the secrets of the success of groups like the muslim brotherhood is that it makes it easy as an institution for individuals that want to do good work to do good work Mm -hmm. Um, if you are that doctor then um they'll get child care they'll get somebody reliable to babysit your kids while you're looking after um the unhoused at the clinic if you need some admin support for uh, an effort to reach out with food or find housing for people then it's a group that you can go to that would um assuming that you're part of the community that they seek to support um, they'll help you uh, out of both a practical political consideration that this is how we build connections, but also out of a moral ideological commitment. And I see all of this energy on the online left, all of these people who want to do something, but we're told as individuals in the United States, in Western societies, but the United States more than anywhere that, you know, you can do it yourself. If you care enough, then you can uh, cure COVID. You can house the unhoused. You can Mm -hmm. become Barack Obama. You can, you name it. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't achieving that, then you must not want it hard enough. And what's absent is the fact that when these efforts are collective, any great task requires many different people contributing in many different ways. The individualist orientation, um, both in terms of seeking things for yourself and in believing that you can do it all, you can have it all yourself, that you are enough to be the change that you want, uh, really gets in the way of working across differences with people that share a desire to to do good in your community uh, might not necessarily agree with you on everything and just find a way to to do your bit to make things five percent ten percent easier for everyone else i feel like the way that you're supposed to do your bit is also scripted for you yes it's never self-immolation that it's kind of based, in my opinion, in my crackpot opinion. <laughs> um, but 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 doing it yourself is, is like harassing people on street corners, handing out flyers. But that's also the same uh, approach of big organizations like, say, Sierra Club or Greenpeace. They have the people with the clipboards on the corners. They don't really look to people to have their own individual contributions either they're looking for bodies and part of it too uh, a lot comes down to the fact and and you saw this with the uh effective altruism uh shtick that the uh, crypto billionaire criminal fried sam bankman fraud yes um (laughs) he uh, he and many others in tech and finance have pushed this idea that 
there's an even a column by a appropriately dour and ascetic moral philosopher in the New York Times saying that if you want to do something to make the world a better place, find the highest paying job you can possibly get and live off of the smallest fraction of your earnings that you can possibly get away with and just donate the rest to somebody else because the money is more important than your participation. And the shift towards an economic thinking where fundraising is the be all and end all of uh, organizational effectiveness, absolutely toxic. And, I mean, the left also sucks at it because everyone's broke, but um, <laughs> the in a world where that's what's expected of organization building, it shouldn't be a surprise that um, many people who don't have the means to um, write big checks and go to fundraisers where they, they get to rub elbows with uh, the leadership, right? Like if you have enough money, the same, the people who will um, pick out interns and turn people away, you know, and say volunteers go knock on, on doors. Um, the, you know, we, we don't really need your, your labor um, to the rank and file. Uh, that organizational leadership comes to billionaires, comes to the truly moneyed as supplicants, um, hoping that they'll open up their checkbooks and more than willing to um, listen to what any any crockpot ideas to humor any um, any absurd notions that those uh, potential funders may have. I, I saw this in the think tank world too, where the number one question behind um, that any organization asked if you we're looking for looking to join them. We're proposing a project was, do you have a funder? Will somebody pay for this? Mm -hmm. The left can't operate no. uh, in that same logic and it has yet to find a logic of its own. And instead you just have a, an atomization and an externalization of that frustration. Well, speaking of frustration, we are going to wrap this show up. And... No, we have to pick this up another time. Were you enjoying the conversation, Tisa? It's so depressing. Yes, I was. It is, it is depressing. <laughs> I like to dig through what's depressing to see what I'm dealing with. Like, I don't just want depression, depression and depressing stuff dumped on me. I at least want to know what it is. I want to see the killer come. So you, did, you, did you enjoy the reading then? I did. And I did the reading then. You got your hand off my pay don't don't try that's to not was that's not <laughs> don't try to flatter me um well i got enough ammunition for part two now i gotta hurry for my part two uh this this uh, essay will be coming out on sublation thursday uh, i talked to alfie showed it to him i want to also send a big shout out to ben burgess who helped me edit it He's got the loveliest little dog. Yes. Lucy. Lucy was very upset when you guys left. Oh. Um, and it was just me and Lucy, and she didn't have 15 people 
playing with her and petting her and paying her attention. So I ran Lucy like a quarter horse. <laughs> Tire her out to too exhausted to be sad. I was like, Lucy, you are going to run like the wind. And there was random horses at the park. Nice. I still don't understand who the fuck has the horses at the park. Because there's no person around. There's just horses. So can horses just I mean, be wild? Like ducks. Yeah. Uh, Mustangs. The elites don't want you to know, but they're free. You can take them home with you. I have 458 uh-huh. ducks. And 458 horses. Does that mean that each duck rides a horse? That's right. <laughs> like little a duck, duck for every horse. Yep. And a duck for every horse. <laughs> well, thank you guys. We are going to open up the phone lines for the champagne room because I'm sure you guys have things you want to say about this conversation. I really feel that way. So we're going to hurry on into the champagne room. We're going to try to keep it brief since we're going to do a double feature movie night. And by we, it's most likely me. I feel like, Pascal, are you going to join me for movie night? For the first half. Look, see? See, I get left. Tucson, are you you coming for movie night? Sure. Both movies? Um, What is it again? Willie Dynamite and... Life is hot in Cracktown. I'll be there for the movie about the pimps. (laughs) Both movies have pimps. That's what I thought. The first movie has more stereotypical pimps. The second movie... Has more depressing pimps. Depressing pimps. Like um, existential pimps. <laughs> pondering pimps. Yeah, pondering like, pimps. Just, just and been ain't easy, back. and neither is living. Like, mm-hmm. Pimps with bad Jerry curls. Mm-hmm. I no, they'll have like a do rag, but it'll be like a nappy do rag. Oh, a do rag. Like an Hermes rag. scarf <laughs> <laughs> tied up in the corners. <laughs> no, nah, it's like a nappy liquor store do rag. It just smells. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, um, that's also life depressing. is hot and cracked down. Yeah, I told you it's depressing. Life is hot and cracked down. It's depressing, Pips. Life is hot or life is hard? Oh, it's hot. Oh, cracked down. On a, on a happier note, I have a friend who, when he's excited and he thinks he's going to have a good day, he wears the flap out of his do-rag. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's a, <laughs> it's a flap out do-rag kind of day. <laughs> so, so he's clearly not a corporate executive. <laughs> no, he's, he's the day yeah. a cat walks into a corporate company <laughs> with a do-rag, that's when I know we've reached full equality. Someone says, when are the TIR, D- TIR do-rags dropping? Well, considering that the major Negro hosts don't have any hair and don't need do-rags. <laughs> that's true. Not TIR do-rags. If I'm wearing a do-rag, I'm just, it's just a statement. Does Adidas make do-rags? I think so. Are they available in red and white? <laughs> if Uber comes to New York, I, I would say it would be hilarious to oh see Cuba's God. hair 
pushed down in finger waves because you yep. slept for a week <laughs> in two rags. For a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, this is all champagne room talk. Thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you guys for joining us. Please uh keep a lookout for that peace and sublation media next week. Mm-hmm. Join us on social media. It's not a movement, but it's entertaining. Instagram. And you get political education. Political education. Facebook. You'll get, you'll get our reading list. We'll get, you'll, we'll, you'll get our reading list. And uh, and what else will you get? Subscribe. Tell people to subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe and hit like. Y'all are behind on hitting like right now. Y'all are behind. Hey. Bad. Also, here, look at this trailer that Quinn made. Stand clear of the closing doors, please.